Thank you, Sharon, and good morning again to everybody on this uh, somewhat dreek uh, day, as the Scots would say, full of grayness and rainy, but since we are Presbyterians, that's the kind of weather that we love. Amen? Yeah, it's louder than at the 8 o'clock, so okay, good. Well, it's good to have you here, although it's not quite as rainy as it was earlier, maybe that's why. Um, before I dive in, uh, if you saw the midweek video, you saw that this week on Wednesday evening, uh, we were able to gather together as a staff uh, um, in, a, in a good and safe way, but just to kind of hang out and to eat and to laugh. And uh, it was a great opportunity for us just to kind of uh, be with one another. And I just kind of wanted to take this opportunity to just tell you all how uh, thankful I am for our staff and for the ways in which they have worked. And I'm thankful for the ways in which you all have encouraged our staff. Uh, and so I just want to say what a blessing it is to work along, uh, some, alongside so many great brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, I find that just to be a real, uh, just a real gift um, for me. When I kind of um, came here a little over seven years ago now, part of my hope was to be able to work alongside people that I liked. Um, uh, and it's finally happened. So, no, I'm just kidding. It's been great. Uh, I'm just kidding. If you're no longer working here, that's not a jab. Um, I'm going to get in trouble. All right, so we're continuing in our series of Grace Dangerous, and I hope that you all are kind of reading alongside in the New Testament. If you are, then you know that we are now in Mark, uh, so we've made our way into our second book, and if you haven't done it, Feel free to start, you can, even if you just start in Mark, that's fine. You can go back to Matthew and next January, um, um, but I encourage you to just kind of join along with us. There is simply something to being able to have read the scripture, thought through it, and then come in here and hear a, a passage that we're going to preach on that will be uh, on one of the texts that you read this past week. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at the gospel of Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So I invite you to hear these words. When he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there, uh, questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions amongst themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather together in order to hear a word from you. And so I pray, Lord, that just as those onlookers experienced you in a dramatic way, 
that we would also experience you today. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I've always loved this story from when I was a little kid. It's one of those stories that I just remember really quite distinctly. Um, You know, I mean, what's not to love about this story, right? Especially if you're a little kid. You got the miracle, which is always great. Everyone loves a miracle. Um, But then, of course, you know, you got the digging through the roof. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, that's just something that a kid would love to do, right? And I would always just kind of picture in my own mind, you know, if, if you're sitting there and you're inside the room and you're listening to Jesus and all of a sudden you're like, man, I feel like, what is this? And then, you know, like little bits of dirt and you're like, look up and you're like, oh, man, Freddie is not going to like this. His house, oh no. And all of a sudden you see the sun and you're like, well, this is not what I should see right now. And then you see this paralyzed guy, you know, being lowered down. I mean, this is one of those things that 10 years, 15 years later, you're like, hey, remember that time when that guy, when they dug through Freddie's room? Oh, he was so mad. That was awesome, right? These are the kinds of things, me, I guess I'm the only one. These are the kinds of things that I like to think about. But not only that, it, it has a certain amount of flair to it, right? I mean, Jesus is kind of putting it to the scribes right here, right? He's like, okay, I, I sense that you are saying or that you guys are judging me for having forgiven him. Well, would it be easier if I just told this paralyzed guy over here just to get up and, and walk out? Oh, that'd be easier? Okay, sure. Hey, get up, walk. And he gets up and walks. I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's called, it's, it's miracle with a flair. There's nothing better than miracle with a flair, right? I just think that's exactly. So I always love this story. I just think it's a great, great story. And the older I've gotten, actually, the more I've kind of grown to really like it even more. And I think in many ways you can, uh, you can read this almost um, on two different levels, right? So you have the, the kind of more surfacey level of which there is much to learn from that as I did as a child. Um, but, but I think even as adults, we can kind of deepen our understanding and just seeing in, in how many ways what we see in the story is symbolic of kind of deeper things that are, that are incredibly important for us to grapple with. And as you do so, you begin to experience really the depth of the story. And so we're going to look at some of the symbolism of this paralyzed man, this, the symbolism of these guys kind of getting up on the mat and carrying him, the symbolism of, of digging through the roof. But before that, we'll, we'll look at the even deeper symbolism, if you will, of this whole kind of story. Uh, William Lane points out that this is really about much more than one guy kind of getting healed and, and walking. That in many ways, this story represents how Jesus is ushering in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we oftentimes say that this is about shalom. It is about a, a, a peace, but that's not just a lack of war. You guys know this. This is about wholeness, right? Being made whole uh, spiritually, being made whole physically, emotionally, communally, relationally, even economically, like the sense of, of wholeness. And, and when, you, when you look at it like that, you begin to see the story, I think, in a, in a little bit deeper way. I, I, we see it, of course, in the way that he comes in and he begins to, uh, he, he begins to uh, heal him. First of all, of course, he does so uh, spiritually. He says, okay, you are, uh, you are forgiven. Now, I want to be very clear right here that what he's not saying is you're forgiven and the reason why uh, you were paralyzed was because of some sin or brokenness. Throughout uh, Jesus' life, he kind of uh, casts that particular view aside. He says, that's not what it is. 
But it is this great sign of this simple fact that all of us, all of us, whether we are physically paralyzed or not, all of us are broken. All of us have sin. All of us need to be made whole. And so Jesus is bringing in and he begins to do that. And then, of course, he does it physically as well, right? He, he, he tells him to get up and walk, which is this clear sign that in the new coming kingdom of God, there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more COVID-19. What a blessing that is, right? And so we begin to see that, you know, the, all of the sickness and disease that we grapple with, that in the coming kingdom, that that will no longer be the case. So we see the spiritual wholeness. We see this physical wholeness. Uh, but we see other kinds of wholeness, too, that we need to be mindful of, right? So, so the paralyzed man, how, how is he making a living? Well, if we can kind of look at some of the other examples of those who are, who are struggling physically in the Gospels, really the only way that they make a living is, is through begging, Right? And now all of a sudden, now that he has legs underneath him that can move and he can do things, now he has the dignity and the joy of being able to work. And we were created for work. Sometimes we think that, oh, no, work, it's just, no, no. We were created in Genesis. It says we are created in order to work. Right? And so there's this great joy and dignity that is restored. But, of course, it's also um, 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 relational uh, and emotional and communal healing. Again, in that time, there were many for whom, if you were lame in one way or another, that they would not actually interact with you. You wouldn't be a part of the community because they didn't know. Maybe you had done something wrong. Maybe your parents had. Whatever it was, they were just reticent to actually be with you. So that when Jesus heals him physically, not only is he forgiven in a physical way, not only is he made whole, I should say, but he's also made whole economically, relationally, communally. It's this beautiful image. And so what's happening for those who were there, which would have been most of them who were understood uh, the book of Isaiah, those prophecies and about the Messiah and the coming kingdom of God and this fact that when those things happen, all of a sudden there would be this wholeness in all these ways. They would begin to say, wait a second. What is this? Who is this person? Is this Jesus the Messiah? Is this Jesus who's ushering in the coming kingdom of God? So again, this story is about much more than just one paralyzed man. Which is why, then, I think we have a fair amount of liberty to begin to ask questions about, about what it is about this paralyzed man that's not just about him, but that is actually has to do with us as well. And I think this is, this is very interesting to do. I mean, we begin to think about paralysis. How many of us are, para, are paralyzed in one way or another? Think about spiritual paralysis. Uh, over the years, uh, Pastor Scott and I have met with many people uh, in our offices or elsewhere who, who are spiritually paralyzed. There's, oftentimes it's because of the fact that, that they have committed some kind of sin, something that they've done that maybe nobody knows about except for them and now, and now us as pastors. And, and with great frequency, they, they seem to not be able to believe that Jesus could ever actually forgive them. They, they have an inability to think that Jesus could look at them as he did at this paralyzed man and say, son, which is a very intimate word, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And, and you sit there and you see them kind of wrestling with that and maybe wanting to believe it, but not. And because they can't just receive it, they end up becoming paralyzed, unable to move forward. 
or maybe, uh, maybe even physical, right? Maybe not physical paralysis in the way that we think about it, but, but those who are inflicted with some kind of disease or sickness, almost always one of the questions that I hear them asking is, why me? Is God upset at me? Has God forsaken me? Is there not really a God at all? Is that why this is happening? And you begin to see this kind of one issue all of a sudden becoming so large that they can think of nothing else. They have an inability to move forward at all because of this physical paralysis all of a sudden everything else in their lives become paralyzed because they are so stuck on believing that surely something I must have done something or God must not love me for some reason all of a sudden then they become stuck in this morass and are unable to go forward or what about emotional uh, uh, paralysis that oftentimes happens because of fear or anxiety I've mentioned before that I have been somebody who I struggle with anxiety uh, I have from time to time throughout most of my life. I mean, I, you know, my mother, as I've said before, loves to tell the story about when I was, you know, five years old and ready to go to kindergarten, but I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to go to school uh, physically. I didn't want to do that because I was so uh, um, paralyzed with anxiety that all the other kids would know their letters and that I wouldn't know my letters. And it just kind of inhibited me. And that's kind of cute. Uh, but it's not cute when you get older. Not about letters. I, I pretty much have most of those down now. But, but there are other issues, right, that you begin to grapple with, right? Fear of a diagnosis of something or, or fear that a loved one is going to betray you or even just some nebulous, nebulous anxiety of some kind of impending doom. And anyone who has wrestled with any kind of fear or anxiety like that, and many of us have this year, know it is virtually impossible to move forward or to think about anything else. You become fixated on what that thing is, right? For some of us, it's been COVID, right? And so, so we just can't get enough of the feeds, right? We just get more and more and we just get deeper and deeper into the morass. But it can be almost anything. But I think paralysis is a perfect image of, of being kind of besotten by, by anxiety or fear. It simply sticks you in one place and you are unable to move forward. And sometimes when you are a follower of Jesus, the paralysis is actually can get even worse because at the same time that you're feeling whatever it is that you may be feeling, you also know that you shouldn't be. Right? Because you hear your pastor who's saying, no, 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 the Lord has forgiven you. And you think, I know, but you, but you just can't convince yourself. And so you go deeper or you say, I know God loves me, but I've been struck with this disease. And how could God love me? And, and you want to believe it, but you struggle. Or you know that we're told to not worry or be anxious about everything. You know that's what you're supposed to not do, but you just can't. And so what happens is oftentimes we, we try to get up off that mat on our own. We begin to stress and strain and do everything we can to do this on our own and we end up just even more exhausted and stuck than we were before we even started. So the question then is, what do we do? How do we, how do we get unstuck? How do we get unparalyzed with whatever form of paralysis we might be facing? Well, this is where the story is so incredible. Because we can answer it with one question. I just ask you one question. Okay, well, what did the paralyzed man do? Not at first he didn't. That's right. You'll learn, Mrs. Crispin. I put that on live stream so that everybody would know it was Amy Crispin who had gotten the answer wrong. But... Next time I'll tell you what the answer is beforehand, and then you can look smart. That's what I like to do. 
before that? It's not a trick question. Nothing. He just lay there. He couldn't do anything because he was? Exactly. I mean, let's just be brutally honest. He couldn't do anything. He just had to lay there. Right? And we've been talking about grace and about how we begin with grace all the time. It's so important for us to begin with grace. Uh, And and we've we've been talking about that. But here we have the absolute most perfect image for what it looks like to begin with grace, which is that you just lay there and you receive the words of grace from Jesus Christ. We want to work for it. We want to walk towards it. We want to do what we can for it. We want to make excuses for it. We want to prove that we're worthy of it. We want to do all those things. And all this paralyzed man did was just lay there. I've said before, one of the things I miss the most about this COVID season is, and I will only get down so close here. I wish I could go all the way down, but I won't. I'll just stop yelling, is when I stand on that carpet once a month and you all come forward for communion and I get to look into your eyes in what is almost an intimate moment and be able to say, Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you. And, and what I love about it, it is a mat-like moment because you can't run away because it would be embarrassing. You just have to sit there, stand there, and receive it. I love that. Now, Mrs. Crispin, after you have received that grace, absolutely, Then you get up, as the man did, right? And you know, more than likely, it was kind of a wobbly beginning. You know, he hadn't used those legs in however long. He'd been paralyzed, maybe his whole life, right? And so, and so then, then you have a choice. Do I, do I receive this as I have, and do I begin to take steps of faith and say, okay, if the Lord has forgiven me, right? If the Lord is, is the one who's bringing in a new kingdom, then you begin to gently begin to walk. And there will be moments when you're a little bit unsure of yourself, moments probably when you will fall back down on the mat or think, man, that was so comfortable. You know that that was a comfortable place. Even though it may not have been a beautiful place, it was his mat. Even if it wasn't a great mat, it was his. And you get up and we begin to journey. We begin to work. But all of that happens after he simply received it. But then how did he experience this wholeness? How was he able to be in the presence of Jesus? Now nobody wants to venture a guess. His friends... His friends, those four guys, I love these friends, right? These friends are amazing. Uh, and I was a little bummed out. I was kind of annoyed by these commentators because hardly any of them, they didn't spend very much time talking about these guys. But these guys are incredible. If we had patron saints, I would say that they would be patron saints of community, of church, really, because this is what they do, right? I mean, they just get up and they are going to let nothing keep them from, from they themselves being in the presence of Jesus and certainly from bringing uh, their friend who is in need of carrying him there. And this is, this is amazing because they had opportunity after opportunity to not do it, right? I mean, they could have they been like, all right, oh, okay, this is a great idea. We're going to take him there and just be like, 
oh man, man, how do you, what are you eating, right? They could have stopped right there. They could have started going and when they saw the backup and like, oh man, we're like 60 meters away from the door. I'm not sure why I'm using meters today. It's just what I'm gonna do. And, 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 and it's for my Canadian friends. And so it's so far away and oh, let's just stop. Or they could have been like, oh, well, I mean, there is a roof. Oh no, it's okay. Or they could have been like, well, yeah, we could do that, but it's so dangerous. I don't know, maybe we should. Or you know what? We're gonna probably lower them. We've made it all this far and then we'll drop them and then it'll be even worse. Or, or, or worst of all, we're going to do all of this, and then Jesus is going to, you know, not be able to fix them, not be able to do it. And then that would be really embarrassing. We did all that work. They had so many excuses, but they were relentless because they said, we have somebody here who needs to experience Jesus, who needs to experience the coming kingdom of God, and we are going to do whatever we can to help them. Now, let's be very clear, because sometimes when we make patron saints of somebody, we make them out to be perfect. I don't think they were perfect. If I could imagine, and I'm making this up, but if you've ever done some kind of you know, activity, some kind of mission uh, with a group of people, you know this is how it goes more often than not, right? One of them had the initial idea. Hey, you know, uh, you know Jimmy, that's his name. I don't know why, but this is Jimmy, the paralyzed guy. And hey, you know, Jimmy, man, I heard that Jesus is coming. What if we, what if we took you to see Jesus? And, and the second guy was like, ah, oh, this Jesus guy, that's a bunch of hullabaloo. I don't really believe in that. But, but the third and fourth guy were like, man, I don't know. It's a Saturday. We got nothing else to do. Let's just do it. Okay. So they get up and they start carrying them there. And then all of a sudden they see the people, right? And, and, and then the first guy whose idea it was in the first place, he's already worn out. Cause you know, you always have people who are the idea guys. And then as soon as you know, you, you come up with anything, then they lose interest and they want to find another idea. Right? So then the second guy, right? Who's not the idea guy. He didn't want to go in the first place. He's like, well, we already came this far. We might as well just keep going. And so the first guy's like, fine, I guess it wasn't my idea. We'll keep going. And so they, they keep going. And and then they, they get there and then they're like, well, now what do we do? We still can't get in. So the third guy's like, hey, you know what? I saw a ladder back there a few days ago. I bet you we can get that ladder and go up on the roof. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what that's going to do, but let's do it. And they, and they get up there and then they're up on the roof. And they're like, well, now what do we do? And then the fourth guy's like, well, you know, my dad has a roofing company and I had to work with him last summer and I know where you can easily make a hole in a roof or at least make it some way. So maybe we can do that. Here's my point. What is my point? Here is my point. It took all of them. Right, right, right. Just, just one of them wouldn't have worked. Have you tried to carry a mat? Have you tried to drag a mat with one person? Two might have worked, but I can guarantee you Jimmy would not have liked that. Three, it's always off balance, but you got all of them and they have all their experience and all their talents. And at one moment, someone's going to have faith while the other one doubts. And the other moment, the other person's going to doubt while this other person has faith. It takes all of them to be able to carry this person so that then all of them are able to experience the kingdom of God in new and fresh and remarkable ways. But it took all of them to do it, which reminds me of the Leslie Newbigin quote that I've used a half a dozen times, but I love it so much I can't forget it, where it says that Jesus didn't write a book. He formed a community. Meaning, that what Jesus wanted from the very beginning when he began to collect his disciples, as we talked about in January, on the 17th of January, that just as he was doing that, he was getting a group of people because he knew in order for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, in order for people to experience who Jesus Christ is, it was going to take a community of people. It takes the people on your left and on your right. It takes the people who are beside you. It takes 
all of us. This is how Jesus intended it. This is how God intended it from the very, very beginning. We need to carry one another. There will be times when you are carrying people, and there will be times when you need someone else to carry you. We need each other, which brings us to digging Digging, digging, digging. Digging through the roof as this community so that their friend could experience the wholeness of Jesus Christ was not easy. It was dirty. It was sweaty. It was challenging. It was dangerous. It was all of those things. But for that community, it was absolutely worth it. Because this is what the community of God does. It isn't easy. It isn't convenient. It isn't always fun. But it is what the community does if they want to be with one another and carry one another as we further the mission of God. That's how important community is. One of the things that has been a real struggle over this past year let me just be as honest as possible, is the damage that COVID has done to our community and to our relationships. I've said it many times. I I think that ZPC, uh, that you all have done a remarkable job of adapting in this time, and I mean that. Uh, The way we quickly uh, went to video, uh, uh, thanks to Ted Coates, um, the way that we, you know, began to deliver flowers, you know, uh, 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 lilies and poinsettias uh, to our seasoned saints. The ways in which we, uh, you know, we, we did outdoor worship. The, the videos that we tried to send out to kids, virtual VBS. We did all those things. And I think that is absolutely amazing. It is what we needed to do. It was the right, those were all the right moves. But we need to also be abundantly clear that Our community, our church community, our faith community has suffered because of all of this. We don't see each other in here with nearly as many. We have masks on, which kind of changes things. We don't get to hang out in the gathering space. A lot of home groups aren't actually meeting in person. We don't have simple things like the all-church brunch, moment of silence for the biscuits and gravy. The moves we made were good and right. I feel very good about them. Were we perfect? Of course not. But I feel good and right. But let us not gloss over this. It has been a massive struggle. And we have struggled and we have lost because of it. It's a part of the reason why I am so glad to be able to see this vaccine. I have loved the conversations I've had, especially with our, our second halfers. It's great. I've never experienced this. I don't know if you have or not, but, but just the, the dates, the significance of dates, right? Hey, how you doing? Have you gotten your shot March 7th? Oh, that's great. So yeah, I already got a shot March 
12th, March 12th, we'll go back in again. I mean, they know their dates, right? We may not be able to remember a lot of other things, but we remember this date, right? It is a, date of, it is a great date of freedom. And I see some of you today, that I haven't seen. And it is a gift. I want you to know that. But I also want to be really clear because I think we need to be honest about this, which is that the vaccine in and of itself will not allow us to be whole community again. Because for us to get to that place, it is going to take some real digging. Because here's the thing. Over this last year, we have developed new trenches in our lives. New routines. New structures. And few of those, for few of us, has that meant coming into Sunday worship. It's quite frankly a part of my concern about live stream worship. Now, I want to be very clear. I am incredibly thankful for what Livestream has done. The fact that those who are vulnerable or those who are with family or friends who are vulnerable and even those who just kind of have a conscientious objection, they think everything should still be shut down, that we shouldn't be doing these things. I am, I am absolutely delighted, and I mean this, that you all are able to be home and experience this worship with us. Please hear me. And I want you to stay there until you are comfortable not doing so. But at some point, At some point, when it's time to begin to come back in here to worship, I want to be really clear. It's going to take some digging to get back to that place. Because the problem with live stream, and it's a great evangelistic tool to be sure, but the problem is it gives you some sense of worship, but it will not forge the kind of community and relationships that are essential if we are going to begin to be able to carry one another through the difficult parts of life. It is a substitute, but it is a poor substitute. And to make sure I don't get any, e- I'm fine getting emails for things that I say, as long as it's for what I actually said. Let me say it one more time. For those of you who are vulnerable, those of you who have loved ones who are vulnerable, those of you who are conscientious objectors, I am fine. Stay home, and I mean it. But there are some of us that I want to invite into something different in this time. And it is to those who are pretty much doing everything else in their life as they always have with masks, except for coming here to worship. I was trying to think what's a good way to kind of measure that, and I I decided that it might get me in trouble, but I would call it the, the restaurant check. If you are comfortable going into a restaurant and eating, where you have to take off your masks in order to eat. At least that's how I see most people doing it. 
and being with people in that way, then let me challenge you. Let me invite you to dig a little bit and to ask whether or not, if you are comfortable doing that, it might not also be time for you to come back in here. Now that's going to take some digging because I, I know, and there's lots of good reasons not to, beyond COVID. You know, I, you know I, don't, I, don't like not, I don't like having to wear a mask. I don't, I don't like to have to wear a mask, you know. I, that's not worship. Look, nobody likes wearing a mask. Okay? It is so itchy with this beard. It is a nightmare. I hate preaching in a mask. I can't see who's yawning. I can still see you if you're sleeping. Some of you don't think about that. Unless you put the mask on, I can see you. But I hate it. I don't get any kind of reaction. It's not a dialogue. It's a nightmare. But let me encourage you to dig the mask out, the same one that you use Monday through Saturday to come in here on Sunday. Some of you don't want to because you're like, oh, we just don't get to sing. And I, you know, it's not the same. I want, I want to sing. Trust me. I want to sing. I love singing. Uh, Jason Chapel loves to sing. He hates it that we can't sing. I realize that. And some of you think, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to, you know, I, I'm just going to say, well, forget it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm offended that they would even ask us to do that. Let me ask you to think about digging out of those offenses. Dig away from what you're upset about leadership for what we've done or the decisions that we've made and come back on Sunday morning. So you say, well, you know what? I'll come back as soon as everything's normal again. When in the world is that going to happen? And so I invite you to dig beyond that, to be able to think through what, you know, how you might come in. It's not the same. I can promise you that. It is not the same. But maybe the Lord has something different to teach you in the midst of that. I want to invite you to dig into your dresser drawer and find those pants that you haven't seen in a year. Pray that they are a stretchy band and put them on. Look, you can come in your jammies. I'd prefer you not to, but you can. But I want to invite you to come back inside Again, if you are doing everything but worshiping together. I say this not to shame anyone. Let me say it one more time. This will be three times. If you're vulnerable, know someone who's vulnerable, conscientious objector. Though your time will come to have this decision as well. I don't do it to shame you. I do it to invite you. I do it because we love you. We need you. We need one another to pick up our mats, to carry those who are in need, to be carried when we are struggling and need to know that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have not been forgotten. Jesus said, pick up your mat. May all of us in the days ahead be willing to pick up our mats and to journey and to dig, to do whatever it takes for us to be able to be a community of God for God and for the world. And that those who are paralyzed might know that they can be made whole.
Amen? Let's pray. God, we are living and continue to live in difficult and challenging times and not always sure what the best thing is to do. So I pray that you would illuminate our lives. Help us to know how best to follow you. Help us to receive grace. And then help us, God, to carry, to walk with one another, knowing that in so doing, we can experience you and your coming kingdom in even deeper ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.